This is the Car Dealer Podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. For those of you who haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask a guest to choose whose stories were best. Today, joining me to pick those stories is car dealer's James Batchelor. How are you today, Batch? I'm very good, thank you, Becca. Thanks for inviting me back. Is it nice is it because you, you know? Is it because you know I'm going to beat you? Is this what the, the reason for it? See, you talk a lot, so I don't have to do a lot of work. It makes my life easier. <laughs> I'm going to try uh, and talk less this week. I promise. Oh, no, it's always good. Um, and welcome to our judge today, Mike Allen from Zeus Capital. Um, it must have been quite a busy start to the year for you, Mike. How has it been going? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's very busy. Um, and thanks for having me on. Um, obviously, it's it, it's a quiet period in terms of financial news, but we've uh, I'm sure they'll feature in some of your stories later. There's There's been a lot of corporate activity that's going on, and obviously the economy is in um moving into different phases as well so there's always something to keep me busy in this sector it's been a bit non-stop this week hasn't it with um, both like financial news for consumers and news for um car dealers and businesses so i think we're going to have a lot to to talk about this week um I'll just explain quickly how the quiz works if you haven't listened before Bat and i have both chosen five stories that have appeared on car dealer this week and we think they are the best ones of the week we're going to take it in turns to talk about the news we've chosen. And then at the end, Mike has the final say on who had the best stories. If you want to play along, then tweet at Car Dealer Mag with the stories you think we should have included. And if you're listening on Spotify, don't forget to swipe up and vote for who you think had the best stories at the end, too. So last time Batch was on, he won. So he gets to go first. Oh, thank you, Becca. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you're not saying that through gritted teeth at all, are you? No, I just I prefer not going first anyway. <laughs> Well, I've, I, I know you're going to have this story written on your list anyway. I mean, we've got to start with the biggest story of the week, haven't we? I mean, we've, we've just got to. I'll be keen to hear what Mike, well, what, what, whatever Mike can say about it, of course. And it is, of course, Constellation, isn't it? And, you know, buying buying nearly 20% stake in, um, in Lookers. And, of course, this comes, you know, hot on the heels of, of them buying uh, the Marshall family's shares in, in Marshall Motor Group. Um, and I, I don't want to say too much because I want to hear what Mike says. But my my question to Mike on this is, who's going to be next? OK, so we're talking a lot about Lookers. We've talked a lot about Marshall. Um, I mean, should I be buying shares in Virtue, uh, <laughs> uh, Mike? Well, first of all, I, I, I can't and won't give any financial advice to anybody on, on, on that. Um, so we, we make that very clear from the outset. Um, well, I, I, I think, you know, clearly the Marshall deal went through um, and I, I think, you know, that's a great business, uh, a great platform um, and that, that's gone through. 
Constellation haven't bought Lookers. They've bought a financial stake in Lookers. Uh, and I think it's a very, I think it's a very shrewd investment. And the price paid for the stake looks very cheap uh, at nine times PE on, on our earnings estimates anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, will it end you know will the end game be a bid we don't know um but at the moment it's a very shrewd investment decision that they've made and clearly the the success of that will depend on you know the the, the reaction of the share price how the business performs etc but i think from a looker standpoint um you know, they, they, the, the strategy that they've got is, is working. We're going to hear more about the strategy in April. We think all the dealer groups are undervalued and, and, and Constellation have, 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 you know, have, have bought a very, very good stake. It, it, you know, I think it's potentially, it's probably a blocking stake as well, but it, it could turn out to be a shrewd investment where it's profitable. It, it could turn out that they own it, but, uh, you know, I don't think that's immediate yet um so so we'll see and on your other question um i think these businesses are are i've said it for a long time are still very much undervalued the share prices have ha, have progressed during last year but that's that was a function of the earnings upgrades that we saw rather than the evaluation re-rating so you know i, I expect virtue to perform well as, as they have done in the last 12 months and um, you know the, the shares are still are still undervalued as we you know as we um, as we communicate so who, who knows who knows it's but it's a fascinating sector and hopefully it certainly does put a line in the sand in terms of you know valuation the way they've, um, sorry oh, sorry carry on becca carry on um, just I was just to mention the way they've gone about it because obviously the Marshall deal um, they bought from the Marshall family and with the Lookers deal uh, they bought the, the shares from Tony Bramall. Do you think there's going to be a lot of people out there thinking actually this is a time that you can be bold with these kind of offers and there are people looking to sell what's a good good shares? Um, you know I think I think the way the shares were acquired um, was clever with Big, big, you know, strategic shareholders, um, you know, and, and obviously those those shareholders wanted the businesses to be to go into good hands. And I think you know, Constellation is is a huge business. They they know the market intimately very very well. I think they would be you know good owners. Um, so you, you know, I think these guys wouldn't just sell out to anybody. Um, I think that you know that the, the, they'd have to have that feeling that the businesses that have been built up over decades will remain in good hands. Um, I know it's difficult for you to speak hypothetically, Mike, um, but hopefully you can sort of give us a bit of a steer on this. Um, let's say, let's say, Constellation do buy Lookers. Do we get into murky waters if they if they own Marshall and Lookers? Because quite a few dealers have been talking on social media over the past week saying, you know, do we get into the, the realms of, you know, the CMA starts to look at this kind of thing? Does it reduce competition or is that is that just, you know, rubbish talk? Uh, the, the answer is we don't know. And I think the, the industry is going at a thousand mile an hour and, 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 and looking at all these different situations. Um, they, they've bought a financial stake in the business. And I think 
if there was a risk that they were going to really upset some key OEMs because they've got multi-dimensional relationships with, with OEMs and there was a risk of a of a CMA investigation, then, then they might not do it. And I think that's why it's clever in terms of making that kind of stake. So, you know, um, you know, obviously these things need to be tested out. The OEMs are massively key stakeholders for any business, you know, in a, in, in a dealer group as, and, and you, you have to take into account CMA now, but well, I don't know, but the, those businesses together, it's still about 7% of rooftops, maybe close to 10% of revenue. Um, but, you know, they've got time to, to consider that, uh, having made a good financial stake. So I think all of these things would obviously be considered if they wanted to make such a bid for lookers, they would be carefully considered, I would say. And that's why buying the stake is so smart. Well, it's just, it's just, it is, I mean, if anybody thought 2022 was going to be a year of, of, of quiet, nothing really happening, um, I think those people are probably eating their own words now, because it's, it's been a fascinating start to the year, hasn't it? No, it, it has. And, you know, look, you know, 2021 was, was a great year for, for all dealers I speak to, whether they're PLC, whether they're private groups, they've, they've all had a great time. Will, will 2022 be a little bit harder potentially um obviously consumers got you know more pressure potentially on them with energy costs etc used car prices will they come under a bit of pressure but you know the, the the way all of these guys have bounced out of covid and uh, and by the way by making these profits they've converted a lot of it into cash they've got great balance sheets and i'm generating a lot of cash at the moment so they're they're well placed, I think, for the next couple of years. Yeah. I um I just wanted to ask something which is a little bit left field of this, but you mentioned about how these businesses are massively undervalued. Why why are they undervalued? Yeah, I think you know we've had, I've been looking at the sector over twenty years, and that they haven't always been undervalued like this. I think um, you know we've had consolidation before in 2005, 2006, and those exit multiples were high mid-teen P ratios. Um, but I think, you know, I think there is a perception. I mean, these businesses are cyclical. Um, so it doesn't matter how good you are as a retailer and in a, in a, you know, in a recession, you know, your profits will go down and, and doesn't matter how good you are. I don't think you can avoid that. I think investors get the perception wrong about the margin. The margin is a function of the structure of the industry, but some investors look at low margin as a sign of quality. I think that's wrong. Um, and I think we've proven in the last couple of cycles, dealers can make very good returns on capital off that low margin base, but they don't seem to have got that perception. I don't mean that's fully filtered through, to be honest with you. And I think the third aspect to it is, is the automotive industry itself. It's clearly changing at a rapid rate, as we, as we all know. You know, we don't know the true impact of agency. Um, we don't know, you know, obviously EV is a big part of the, the new car market now. There's rapid change. And I think investors, you know, 
they, 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 they prefer sometimes stable, predictable industries and, and, and this industry is going to change a lot. And, 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 you know, I think that might just impinge as well, but it's, the, the, you know, it's the cyclicality of it and in, investors will all have different views on timing. We talked about this um, last time you were on the podcast, I think, Batch, about um, manufacturers who are listed on the stock market changing themselves to being technology companies. Are we actually seeing more dealer groups now that are kind of technology logistics companies rather than automotive retail? Are we? Do you think we'll see some more of that in the market? Yeah, I think, um, and, and I think it's not just PLC companies. I think there's some really good private businesses out there that... Um, have a good view on the market and, and you know, will want to innovate. And, you know, I visit many car dealer businesses and um, you, you walk through now and there might be 20 or 30 developers in the room and, you know, mm. on digital marketing and um, a lot of uh, digital processes, et cetera. So th- this business is, is not just about a forecourt and selling to people. There's the, the, the infrastructure at the back end of these businesses is pretty sophisticated, I'd say. Uh, and I, I, I think that journey hasn't stopped. You know, I think these businesses will continue to innovate. And as we see AI, robotics, et cetera, it's all, you know, likely to um, touch this industry with uh, various, you know, degrees of innovation. And it's only catalyzed through covid hasn't it i mean you know everybody says there's been a five-year shift in the space of 12 months but that's i know that's a very often used phrase but there business you know dealers have had to make an absolutely enormous change and they are rapidly becoming far more technological aren't they i i think that's a little bit unfair if i'm being honest i think um you know yes the the emergence of the disruptors and covid did may have accelerated the online buying a bit but these businesses have been, particularly the PLCs, are, are, were invested in this for, for three or four years ahead of COVID. You couldn't have just switched it on in March 2020 without that investment. That that investment had been going on for the last three to five years. So I, I think they made it look easy in COVID, but they couldn't have done it without the back-end support that they'd already invested in. Mm. Shall I steer this away from this because i feel like we're grilling you a bit mike <laughs> i know it's, it's not really a quiz anymore it's just a grilling session um i'm gonna go for um a story that's completely different but was our most popular story this week which was um which is terrible these stories always do so well on our website because it's tons of consumers reading them i think um but it was the one about the disgraced used car dealer who was jailed for selling death traps um, what amazed me with this story was um, that he got so many warnings, this car dealer um, who had been selling cars that broke down in a range of wild and wonderful ways. Uh, but he got so many warnings from trading standards about you need to do something about this, you need to do something about this. And he just persisted. And yeah, I'm a little bit at a loss at why you would do that. It seems like such a simple way to not end up in prison. Yeah. But um yeah, very strange story that's done very well on our website. I don't know if you two want to say anything about that because it's a bit of a weird one. Well, the only thing I'd say is that um, we these tens of st- it's it's a bit depressing, really. But these kinds mm. of stories always work very well on car dealer, and I think it's because people just like to read bad news. It's the Daily Mail effect, <laughs> isn't it? People just like to read bad things about other people, and makes it makes people feel better about themselves, doesn't it? Mm. 
Yeah. What do you think if you're a car dealer looking at this? I'd hope most of the people who read our website would look at that and think, how on earth have you managed to do that so badly? Because it's just these cars must have been absolutely bought from the bottom of the barrel. Nothing done to them, sold to people that I can't believe would even buy them. And yeah, crazy. Yeah, I agree with Batch in terms of bad news and scandal. Um, It's what people unfortunately like looking at, really. And, um, you know, we know... We know all the, you know, the the, the dealers that, that I speak to a lot of dealers and they're all very smart, switched on, entrepreneurial, very proud of the businesses. So it's, it, it is an anomaly, but it's, it's scandal sells, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Batch, do you want to go for another one? Because you've wiped me out with two stories because I had the Constellation one and I had who will be next. So. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry. That's no, fine. That's, That's what happens goes. when... That's what happens when you win the last quiz, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I've got a, my next story. It's not particularly lighthearted. My my stories get more lighthearted the the, the the more we progress. But it's it's a timely one because it's 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 come out today, and it's this um, group of MPs who have said there's a, a new motoring tax is urgently needed because the switch to electric cars will cause a thirty five billion pound black hole. Um, so, of course, this is because EVs attract no road tax. And the feeling is that by 2040, the government coffers are going to be completely empty. I'm not entirely sure how that works because, you know, not everybody's going to be driving an electric car by 2040. But I think it's it's a sensationalist kind of headline. But the point still remains that with more and more people switching to electric cars, the government's going to lose out because nobody's going to be paying any VED. So um, now this kind of story has been around for a while. It's not new, this. Um, but I don't think it's a coincidence that it's come out on the day of the latest SMT new car registration figures. You know, uh, the SMT have said today that they now think that almost one in four cars sold this year will come with a plug. So I think it's a little, it's increasingly going to become more in the spotlight as EVs uh, grab a a larger share of the market. Um, Now, I'm sure something is needed with this um, because the the VED or road tax, however you want to call it, system has been around for, for, for decades. And of course, it is going to have to change. But what worries me about this is if the answer is having black boxes in people's cars so that they pay tax as and when they drive. I mean, it takes away driver's freedoms a little bit, doesn't it? I don't want to sound all romantic about this um, and hark back to the golden days of motoring. But I think the notion that you you can hop into your car um, and you can drive where you want, when you want and how far you want is an enormous privilege we all have. And it's something we take for granted. And I think I think if a, bl- if a black box is fitted to all of our cars, I think it would be really sad. And I don't know if, the, if you two share my romantic romanticism there, or I should just get real, but I, I think having a black box fitted to a car is a bit of a sad state of affairs. I don't really know what I think about that. Do you th- what do you think, Mike? Whilst I ponder. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah, whether it's a black box, I mean, you know, I've got, I've got, I drive a, a, an EV and you go on your app and it tells you what you're doing in the cars anyway. And I guess the government 
will have access or will want access to that data to make up the, the tax shortfall. Um, it, it probably, it's, it, I, I do agree with your point about the, the freedom and getting in your car and not thinking about it, et cetera. But, yeah, like, you, you know, EVs at the moment are obviously rapidly accelerating, you know, and, and it's a perfect storm because, you know, the, it feels to me like the OEMs are prioritising EVs because there's an, obviously an ESG environmental agenda, the higher margin cars for them as well. Um, you know, the car park is going to change significantly. We 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 know that, and, and the government will, will will lose out. But you know, we're looking out to twenty forty. Is EV the only answer? Will hydrogen come in as well? Is there a different way to tax that? Who, who knows? I mean, it's we we are looking um, way into the future. But yeah, I think the, the pennies drop with the governments in terms of the tax shortfall, and they'll they'll, they'll they'll find a way. It might not be as crude as a black box, but it will certainly be using data that is there anyway when when we connect our cars to these apps and they know where it is. So I can see something like that coming in, but maybe without the black box. Well, so much well, so much can change, can't it? Because we've got this 2030 deadline and everybody's working towards it and everybody's got it in their minds that that is the, the cutoff date for the sale of new petrols and diesels. But, you know, th there's, there's going to be a general election between now and then. Um, you never know, there, there may be some kind of, there, there may be more than one a general election, who knows with the way things are going at the moment. But um, things could change. And I'm not, I'm not saying that whatever new government would want to, come out with something would be very divisive in, in moving that goal backwards. Mm. Um, but but the, the, the point is, we just don't know what's going to happen. Like you say, we could, you know, towards the end of this decade, we could hear a little bit more about hydrogen as well. We're definitely going to hear more about e-fuels mm. also. Um, so there is a, a lot of unknowns. But um, I do think this question of, of how you actually tax cars to use public roads is going to come into just greater focus because it's the realization that the the system that we have at the moment has worked perfectly for decades and it probably won't be fit for purpose Wh whatever the solution is it probably won't be fit for purpose in the future i don't becca do you think i'm being mm. too romantic about this or, no, or is there a point i don't i do think um on the side of people who do a lot of driving and like to do lots of um big long drives there's definitely um there might be a case for the train is cheaper in a case where you're looking at um taxing based on your mileage or how you drive and things like that but I do there was another story this week um, which wasn't on my list but was about the um VAT on public charging for um EV drivers and I do think that for a long time rightly so EV drivers have been given a lot of um cut a lot of slack it's been trying to make it as affordable as possible for them but it's got to come to an end at some point because it's just that's the way the word work, world works our roads are terrible anyway even with the money we put into them so we can't really not be having road tax going into that um i don't know what i think about the black boxes to be honest because it would definitely depend how it worked but i i can't see why we wouldn't just have some sort of flat rate and it would probably be higher than what we pay for petrol and diesel at the moment the other aspect would be mobility as a service as well, and it could change car ownership really, depending on that that tax, whereby 
you know, you may well just just rent your car, pay a bit more um, mm. on a monthly, two monthly basis. And, and I think different ways of car ownership will emerge as the tax system changes probably as well. And, you know, I think EV cars aren't for everybody, but a big driver of EV has been the, the next to zero benefit in kind tax. That's, that's driven a lot of people to that sector because it's a no brainer. Mm. So I, I think I, I, with anything, how the tax system changes evolve will, will, will probably have an impact on overall car ownership over the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, it's yeah, it's funny you say about the um, the kind of rental lease market, because I remember trying that um, the I can't remember what they actually called it, but the um, renting a Peugeot E205. And that was just so affordable when it came to like everything that's thrown into it, those kind of package deals. So I can definitely see more people going that kind of direction, which I know batch will probably say that takes away the romantic side of a pcp deal and all that jazz <laughs> well i'm going to be i'm going to be extra romantic here becca because you said e205 as opposed to e2 oh yeah and i, and I just always that, 205 yeah. on the brain <laughs> <laughs> can't make a peugeot 205 gti electric you can't do it. although i'm sure somebody has and is contemplating doing it but that yeah well that's that, sh- that should be the next step day. for peugeot we've already got the mini electric thing haven't we it's only a matter of time before we just go back to classic cars with electric engines yes let's let's not get started on that because it could get very heated (laughs) (laughs) um so i've got another electric story on my list um sorry i'm losing my voice now not good um last week on the podcast i sort of brought up something um about someone had mentioned to me that they had seen a lot of electric cars being sold by consumers on these uh, platforms you now get where you can dealers can buy direct from the consumer they said that they thought a lot of people were trying to get out of evs and i love evs and i don't really understand why you, well this story sort of explains why you might want to we had a story this week from the motor ombudsman talking about complaints about evs which i just thought was quite interesting reading the sort of stuff that people were complaining about um of this it was only 10 percent of their complaints of the year were actually about evs 174 complaints but two-thirds were about the EVs onboard system and 13% were software glitches. Um, there was a lot of stuff where people weren't very happy with actually how it was performing, things like the actual battery, which I know we kind of complain quite a lot about at car dealer. <coughs> Sorry. Um, but I wonder whether so many people are kind of getting into EVs thinking it's a wonderful idea, not really knowing what they're in for, and then get into it and go, oh my God, this is actually very different from driving a petrol and diesel car um so mike you've got an electric car did it yeah. live up to everything you hoped yeah I've, I've, I've had an ev for two years um there's obviously you know uh, being involved in the corporate sector that, that that you know in terms of benefit and kind that that did attract me to ev to be honest with you um and and it is a different driving experience for sure um the, it was tough at the beginning, to, two years ago, with infrastructure because it was really poor. Um, but there has been a, a real steady improvement in, in, in the infrastructure. So that improves the experience. Um, funny enough, I just got my car service this week, done 20,000 miles, cost £240, I think, to get it to, to really? get it serviced. And the next service is in another 
20,000 miles or, 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 or two years time. So the, the, there are pros and cons. Funny enough, we, we just, for a family car, uh, I don't think it works just because if you're doing long journeys and going on the holiday, you, I actually, my last car purchase was a diesel because I just craved having 600 miles in the car and being mm. able to drive to Scotland <laughs> and, and not worry about charging points, etc. So EV, I think, is good. Um, but I, I, I don't think we'd be a, a pure EV household. They've, they've got pros and cons. It's, it's nice to have a diesel and an EV on the driveway and, um, and, and, and pick and choose as per your journey. Mm. Have you been having a, any um, EV uh, rage, uh, Mike? <laughs> because, thing? yes, rage. yeah, then it's not range anxiety, but rage other EV drivers because... Um, I've a friend of mine who had a Tesla, who's got a Tesla. Right. He had to um, queue at a, it was a motorway services. And as we all know, at motorway services, there tends to be great big banks of Tesla chargers. Yeah. He had to queue for an hour and a half recently right. yeah. to what? charge his car. Now, in the past, you know, Tesla owners, you could just drive up, couldn't you, and, and plug in, and it was all all lovely and and, and rosy. But the queues for electric car charging points are getting ever longer and people are getting very irate because of course there's not an easy queuing system at an EV charging point, is there? It's not like a petrol station where it's a bit more easy to queue. Have you been experiencing any of that? I've not, to be fair, um, because it's it's rare that I would do a, a long journey in, you know, so I can, where I live on the world, so I can do Birmingham and back just about. Um, just i tend to go to manchester but you know i i wouldn't do a kind of a two a 250 there and back you know uh trip so i've done them before um but i, I try not to put yourself in that position to be honest and, and to be fair that the places that you go to tend to have ev charging points now as well a lot of corporate buildings etc so I've I found it okay. I haven't been overly reliant and I, I, there's been no rage issues. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back. You want the best return from your advertising budget and CarGuru's Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Batch, what's your next story? Um, well, it's another big story we had this week. Um, it's about, uh, well, we were tipped off that Ford might be cutting its uh, retailer network in Scotland. Um, and we heard that they've given notice to Arnold Clark. And the grand plan is they've, they've put Arnold Clark on a two-year notice period, and, and they're going to get Trust Ford, which, is, of course, is the trading name of, of Ford Retail, to run those showrooms instead. Now, a senior injury source gave us this, and I was speaking to another very serious another very senior person this week you can tell I spend my entire I sound like a politician don't I, I was, you know I spend my week talking to very senior people clearly but a, another person off the record said to me 
yesterday that um, it is happening. But of course, we can't get anybody to confirm that this is happening. And it's all conjecture at the moment. Nothing's confirmed. But um, uh, you know, Arnold Clark haven't responded to us. Uh, Trust Ford, they haven't denied it, but they, they, they didn't confirm it either. Um, and Ford refused to be, be drawn on anything to do with their dealer partners. Um, now, if it's true, which, you know, like I've just said, I'm led to believe that it, it, that it is, it's potentially huge news, this, because we already know Ford is not afraid to radically change its network. You know, two years ago, they said this was right before the pandemic. So it's, it's, it's something that could easily have been forgotten about. But right before the pandemic struck in March, um, they, Ford said that they had plans to cut their dealer network in half by 2025. So Ford isn't afraid of, of making, doing these tough decisions. Um, but it's just going to be very interesting to see what happens here. And um, I mean, Mike, I don't know if you've got any views on this. I, I don't know whether it's, it's more uh, important with Ford because, you know, they've got an enormous dealer network, of course, and it wasn't that long ago that there'd be a Ford dealer on, on the end of, of every street corner. Yeah. It, would, it, would, it would feel like. And, and if Ford are going to be cutting their dealer network massively, you know, it's you know, potentially other car makers are going to be considering and following Ford's lead. Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I don't know that that story. I, you know, I do know the Arnold Clark business uh, from afar, and it's I rate them as one of the best motor retailers in Europe. Uh, the financials are fantastic, and it, you know, they're more than a, a car retailer, uh, Arnold Clark. So. It's a fabulous business. Um, the, the 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 Ford aspect, obviously, they are looking at reducing capacity. Um, so it will be an interesting move if that happens. Um, and, and and I think you know, you, you know, ch changes to the retail network is not negative for everybody because clearly there's opportunities for others to grow, particularly if. You know, you know, if, if a business of the size of Arnold Clark exits for whatever reason, we don't know in terms of Ford or commercial terms for Arnold Clark, etc. There's going to be opportunities for others to grow in there as well, because it would be a huge void in, in any retail network because the fantastic dealers. So, look, you know, it's um, and, I, I, and, you know, we know that the retail network, particularly in the volume brands, is going to cut capacity but there's different ways to to make a return there's there's multi-branding there's you know so it, it's if that if your story's true i've got no idea if it is or not then it, it, somebody's going to benefit from that with a force you know a decent scale plc business like they've got businesses up there mm. Well, that's that's. I don't know if you've got anything else to add, Becca, or you want to move on to something, perhaps. Um, no, I was only going. I obviously I always look on the other side, and I think maybe Arnold Clark wants to get out of the Ford business, and they've not been able to come to an agreement that works. And yeah, I'm not trying to talk down your very senior, serious people batch, but you never know what the the actual backstory is. I'm sure it will come out in the wash, and we'll find out some yeah. what's happening. But yeah, very, very interesting story. I completely forgot that it was this week. So well done. Um, my last story um, is 
about Jaguar Land Rover reporting its pre-tax loss of nine million pounds. They said dealer sales were hit by a semiconductor shortage. Retail sales were down 13.6% compared to the previous quarter. Um, and generally, wasn't looking very good. Um, I wondered if you had any thoughts on this, Mike. Is it, is it going to get better for JLR or are they on a downward slope? Uh, you know, I, I think it's a good story that you've picked out there, Becca, because uh, it caught my eye this week as well. But it wasn't the headline financials that caught my eye. It was the comments they made on the customer order bank being very, mm. very sticky. So, you know, sometimes as an analyst, you've got to look beyond the headline financials and dig into the detail a little bit more. And, you know, I think the financials were as expected, but it was the, you know, I'm looking ahead for the next 12 months and I'm looking at, you know, um, are these order banks solid for the next 12 months? And, and, and I think, you know, that... that I can't remember what the, the customer order bank number was that they released in that statement. I think but it was like 80,000 or something. I, bought so, it. I don't know. And an average length of nine to 12 months. And I think that, that to me, from a dealer perspective, one that shows you, you know, one, you've got visibility there because the consumer mm. is willing to, to wait. And two, it just shows you the strength of the brand, doesn't it, in terms of, you know, the consumers, I'm sure they, they they wouldn't like to wait 12 months for a car, but they're, they're willing to because of that brand. So that that, that caught my eye this week. Hmm. I think we've also got to remember that um, JLR's current financial position is pretty much exclusively driven by Land Rover because Jaguar is nowhere to be seen at the moment. And, you know, I wrote about this in, 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 the, uh, in the current issue of, of Car Dealer that, it's been a year since T- uh, Thierry Bellore um, joined as CEO and took over from Ralph Spade. And, um, you know, he, he started things off very dramatically by announcing his big reimagine plan, ripping yeah. up plans for the new XJ electric saloon, you know, at a cost, some people say it was at a cost of 500 million. Mm. Um, and it's effectively wiping the slate clean and mm. saying that there's this bold new future for Jaguar. I know, a lot has happened in the last year. You know, there's, there's been, everybody's been very busy. But I think you know, the longer it goes on that we don't know what's going to be happening with Jaguar, I just think that brand really loses out. You know, dealers are having to str- struggle on with a product range that's effectively set in aspect for the next three years. We're not going to, you know, Jaguar is not going to become this revived electric car brand until 2025. So you know, if, if Jaguar don't get a move on and sort of at least tell us what's what's coming in the future, I just think Land Rover is going to be sh- shouldering the burden of, of JLR's financial performance for, for far longer. So um, it's a very easy thing for me to say, but I think Jaguar really need to, to, to announce what's, what's, going to, what's going to be happening. Mm. It's, correct me if I'm wrong, but they've just had a new designer announced, haven't they? I think they have, and they've since writing that com, they have announced saying that they are going to be building their own bespoke electric car platform. You know, some people were speculating they were going to buy in a platform from another manufacturer, but JLR are actually going to be building their own platform. But um, 
you know, we, we, we don't know what types of cars they're going to be building yet. Mm. Um, and just a little bit of direction, I think, would be helpful for dealers, of course. Um, uh, and, and But, in, you know, in particular for customers, I mean... It's, it's a shame to see it, but it does feel as though Jaguar is slowly disappearing off the face of the earth at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right there. It's a strange one, isn't it? It just feels like nothing's really happened for a very long time. I'm hoping for electric sports cars. Yes, mm. me too. D-type. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, my um, left field question I want to ask about this, though, talking about Jaguar Land Rover as the manufacturers, I'm just very, very left field, but... I'd love to get your take on agency sales, Mike, and what are your predictions? Because last week we spoke to Ali May Khalil, who said some things about it'll actually be a good thing. And I've had many, many comments since about from people who think he's very wrong. Yeah, it's it's an emotive topic, isn't it? Uh, mm. in, in this industry. But I, I I think it's you can see. I think it's all about the execution and the detail. So if if an OEM gets the handling fee right, and they and, and, and the, the the cost sharing is 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 right, then you know it it could improve valuations of businesses because it will you know there will be more asset light and you know there may be a little bit more predictability on profitability. Um, if it's done badly and the handling fee is is wrong and it causes dealers to make a loss and the, the cost apportionment is insured correctly, they might that, 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 that then obviously the smart dealers won't won't do it. And 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 I think from the OEM perspective, the big issue, and they've got to get it as right right just as much as the dealer, because you know, the next two or three years, given where used car prices have been. You know, there, there could be a negative equity issue in, in the next two or three years. And, you know, traditionally when that's happened, it's the retailers that have retailed the, the amount of this. So it, 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 it's, it's all about the detail and execution. And, I, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about positives and negatives of, of it. But I think until you can kind of see what it looks like, what, what, what you know, what, what are the financial terms, what, what you know, then, um, then I think it's hard to make an informed decision. But the concept of it could work, but it, it, it's, it, it's just got to be executed correctly. And that's the uncertainty. Interesting what you say about the values, actually, because I haven't heard that perspective yet. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously, again, investor perception, um, when they look at, but balance sheets of these businesses are very, very capital intensive. They own a lot of property, they own a lot of stock, um, new car and new car stock. They hire a lot of people. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're big businesses and, and, and are capital intensive. But if you remove some of that inventory off the balance sheet, then in theory, if, if, if the profitability metrics are still... Um, you know, still stack up, then the returns on capital should improve. But it comes back to my point about execution. Mm. Well, I was I was talking to Mazda this week about this 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 topic, and they Jeremy Thompson was very ab, uh, very adamant that um, it's a no from them until at least twenty twenty five. But um, I was getting the feeling that 
Mazda's not very keen on the idea at all. Um, and 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 his his overarching comment was was that um, you know they are they are a smaller player in the UK uh, market, but why disrupt something that works perfectly well already? From Mazda's perspective, they've got a fantastic dealer network. They've got some very happy dealer partners and Mazda's very happy with the relationship. Why throw effectively, you know, you could say, why throw a grenade in, in, into this and totally disrupt what is a perfectly, you know, a successful operation? So I don't think he's a that, um, but I think what will happen there will be one big car maker, one big brand that will go for it. And I think everyone else is going to be watching um, to see whether mm. it whether it fails or, or succeeds. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right there. They're, these mm. dealers are fundamentally their customers and no one wants to upset their customers. It's, yeah. 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 Um, That's right. So if you got one more story, Batch. I, well, I've got two more stories, but oh, I'll two race more. through them. I'll race no, through no, them. The last fine. one um, is a group activity. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't worry, it's a bit of fun. The, the, so the first one um, is uh, keeping with the Ford theme. It's about the Ford Bronco. Oh, um, yes. Now, um, now, because uh, I'd like to start a campaign about this. I'm, I'm breaking this. It's breaking oh, news yeah. on the Car Dealer podcast. Mike, you can be our honorary chairperson if you wish. Um, <laughs> and the campaign is to get Ford to sell the Bronco in Britain. Okay, now I've come to this decision because... Um, this week we heard that uh, Clive Sutton, the specialist car dealer, has brought the Bronco to the UK and it really is in high demand, this car. I mean, allocation is full for this year. Um, you can get a car in 2023, but only if you're prepared to spend between 45,000 and mm -hmm. 85 grand, depending on specification here in the UK. Of course, by way of comparison in the States, um, prices started around um, 21,000 pounds before taxes. So. Um, but I, I not wanting to take sales away from Clive here. And if you're listening, I thought Clive, that was going to be your reason. I thought you no, just don't like Clive Sutton. <laughs> no, 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 no. Clive, if you're listening, I don't want to take sales away from you here. Um, but I think Ford should be importing this car to the UK already, really. Um, ideally in right hand drive, but it could also be in left, obviously. But I know Ford is following a more electric agenda in Europe um, than in its home market. But how fantastic would a Bronco be in the UK? I mean, we Brits just love these kinds of cars, don't we? I mean, you know, I'm just going to reel off a load of cliches here, but Defenders, G-Classes and even the Jimny mm. and Land Cruisers and all those kinds of things. And I think Ford Bronco, retro-styled, roughy, tufty 4x4 could sell very well here. Um, and I think we need this car. So... Um, I, my hopes for our campaign aren't massively positive, really, if, if I'm in all honesty, because, I mean, it took Ford about 60 years to bring the Mustang over here in right-hand drive. So I don't think they're going to do anything on the spur of the Car Dealer podcast, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah, I did. Um, I thought the same thing. Cause when, so I wrote the story and thought 45,000 to 85,000, depending on spec, like that's pretty there for a big SUV and then I went and looked at how much it would be and thought mm, that's not really I know he's importing it he's doing all the legwork and we're not including all the taxes and obviously in America you've got all the extra taxes local and government and delivery and all this sort of stuff that they add on afterwards but if you could get it in the UK for that sort of price less than 30,000 pounds then that is like 
a slightly bigger chimney kind of thing and everyone would eat it up completely. I don't know why people don't like bringing these cars to us. They like to give us a little taste and then take it away like the chimney. I know you don't <laughs> love the chimney, but I just it's one of those cars, isn't it? It is. It is. And I just I just think, um, you know, I know Ford are, you know, they're, they're massively pushing their electric cars at the moment. But I think Ford showrooms would look great with a Bronco in the middle of them, I mm. think. So, Mike, are you a big fan of these kinds of cars or uh, yeah. actually you're an electric car owner, so you probably hate it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, um, I, I, I like, um, I, there's definitely a place for, for that, I think. Um, and, and I agree with Bex as well about the, you know, these, you get these cars, they give you a taster and then they take them away. And, um, I, I, you know, I think it's a very valiant, um, uh, campaign that you <laughs> because, uh, I think there's a place for it. Of course there is. Okay. I take it then you're our chairperson then that's great. <laughs> Okay, just been appointed. <laughs> um, so just my last my last um, yeah. topic is um, now, unsurprisingly, the best selling car color in 2021 oh. was gray. Unsurprisingly, it was gray because none of us have got any imagination, have we? Um, <laughs> now, the SMT said, and I quote, this is not me, might sound like me, but it's not me. The SMT said gray can be a sleek and deeper tone than other shades and it's well suited to black trims and darker wheels and offers an attractive compromise between the also popular black and white probably because it sits in the middle of those two colors but you know <laughs> hey was that someone trying to work to a word count I think it probably was yes <laughs> <laughs> But that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is a little quiz here. Oh, so, um, so if I <laughs> a give quiz you a quiz, yeah, it's a quiz within a quiz. See, it's great. It's great when I'm on the show, uh, Becca. Yeah. <laughs> I push the boundaries, really. Um, so, uh, I'm going to give you the color, and what I want you to do, I'll start with you, Mike. What I want you to do is to name me the car that had the largest slice of that color. Okay. So, for example, if I say purple, I'd like you to say Triumph Stag, for example, okay? That's not one of the questions because nobody sells purple cars and the Triumph Stag really doesn't exist anymore, but that kind of thing, okay? So, right, here we go then. So, uh, what do you think was the most popular car for grey, Mike? Audi A4. Becca, what do you think? I was going to say... Tesla Model 3, but only because no. it was really popular. <laughs> I don't even know. Do Tesla sell grey Model 3s? I don't actually know, do they? Yeah. But, well, one. silver. Does silver classes grey? No, it's grey. It's grey, Becca. Grey. Um, anyway, you're both wrong. It's the Volvo XC40. Uh, so, I'm not going to go through the whole top 10 list because we'll be here until October. Give us a couple, but, though. I like this game now. But um, OK, so <laughs> how about green? What do you think is the most popular oh, green car? In 2021. I was hoping for red. Um, green. Is it an Audi? No. No. No, Mike. I was going to say Audi as well. Um, oh, no, a little clue. It's it's a small car. We've got we've got Is dead air like a... here on radio. That's never, that's never a good thing. Is it the Peugeot 208 or no? no it's the Mini. The mini oh, yeah. green car in 2021. Okay, red. Okay, red. What do you think, Becca? Ford Fiesta. 
No, Mike. Oh, God. Aldi A3. No, Toyota. <laughs> it was the Toyota. Oh, really? Ago. Um, this is an easy one here. You should both get this. Uh, yellow. Be it. No, that's a, that, that is a good, a good answer, but it's wrong. Yellow. Um, you mentioned it earlier on, Becca, if that helps. Oh, the 208? Peugeot 208. Yeah, you see a lot of yellow ones, don't you? Um, and my last one, because um, we're sort of running out of time and perhaps losing the will to live. <laughs> um, bronze. Tricky one there, because I didn't think there were any bronze cars left. But uh, bronze, what do you think is the most popular car uh, to have sold in 2021? Painted in bronze. I think I've seen a bronze car in 2020. No, this, this really took me by surprise, actually. Although, actually, it also didn't at the same time. No, I've got no idea. I was going to say, like, um, no, Volvo, but you've already had that, haven't you? It is. Only because I had one. It is that motability favourite, the Toyota Yaris. The Toyota yeah. Yaris was the most bronze. popular bronze car in 2021. So there we are. Are they the only bronze car, then? Quite possibly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good quiz, Batch. Well done. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, do you think we missed any important stories this week? <laughs> well, you've got, you've certainly got a range out there, haven't you? So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think, I think, as ever, you've, um, you've, you, you've captured all aspects of the industry. Thank you. That's all we like to hear. Um, so, who do you think had the best stories then? So. Um, I had to exclude the Constellation story because that included myself. I can't include myself in, in, in that. <laughs> um, you, you were winning on the JLR story because that caught my eye. And I don't think a, a lot of people, I, I, I think some dealers looked at it, but obviously it was digging into the detail, which was, but probably got to go with Batch's campaign at the... Uh, <laughs> With the Bronco, unfortunately. So I would like to have leveled it all up, but um, I think his, the campaign came at the right time, unfortunately. I knew that was going You're going to have to go write this as an actual story now, Batch. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mike. It's been brilliant to have you on. Sorry that we've grilled you quite a lot. No, it's okay. I'm used to it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for all of you to list, for listening as well. We'll be back again next week with another podcast. So don't forget to follow us wherever you're listening and be notified for a new episode going live. For those listening on Spotify, don't forget to swipe up and vote for your winner now too. If you want to find out more about any of these stories we've mentioned today, you can click the links in the show notes below or head over to cardealermagazine.co.uk and scroll down to the podcast section. Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>